0: Would you take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6? We're coming to the end of our study in this letter. And I hope that it's been a a good one for you, a rich study as we have worked our way through Ephesians. I know it has for me. I've really enjoyed it. Um, And if you're wondering about where we're going to go next, uh, we're going to be going to the Old Testament over the summer months. And we're going to be looking at three Uh, of the minor prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, as we go through that portion of scripture that may be uh, new to some of you, or maybe you've not spent a lot of time there. We'll try to unpack what God has to say there as well. All right, but let me read for you uh, verses 17 to the end of the chapter, and we're in the section that's talking about putting on the armor of God. Paul says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the end of this letter, Lord, would you just deepen our convictions, reinforce in us the things that we have been talking about and learning these past few months. And Father, this has been a rich study as you have taken us from the throne room in heaven to the battlefield on earth. And Father, I pray that we would stand equipped, ready to serve, able to withstand Satan's temptations and assaults and demonstrating your victory that you alone reign. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. But well, many years ago, I read a book that was written by E.M. Bounds called Power Through Prayer. Uh, he has several books on prayer. If you've ever read some of them, you know that he can be quite challenging and convicting, but it's a good read. It stretches us. And one of the things that I remembered from his writing is this statement. He said that we are constantly on a stretch, if not a strain, to devise new methods, new plans, and new organizations to advance the church and secure enlargement and efficiency for the gospel. But what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. And I would say men and women of prayer, men and women who are mighty in prayer. You know, it is not wrong to plan or to develop strategies or programs. I don't think that's what he's saying. It's not wrong to have a method as we think about reaching our community or bringing the gospel to the nations. The Apostle Paul had that. As he went from place to place on his missionary journeys, you know, he he always went to city centers, And he said he would go to the Jew first and he'd go and he'd preach in the synagogues. And if they rejected him or closed the door, he'd go to the marketplace and he'd preach to the Gentiles. And he did it in these urban centers so that the gospel might expand from there in kind of concentric circles as it went out, literally to that whole surrounding area. That's what happened in Ephesus, so that they could say that that whole area around them had heard the gospel. And Paul's ultimate goal was to go to Rome, to go and to preach in Rome, where he is now a prisoner in chains. But I think Ian e. Bounds makes a good point that we must never forget that prayer is primary, that all our work should begin with prayer and be supported with prayer continually. The prayer should be the first thing we think of, the first thing that we turn to, to ask God to guide us and give us wisdom as we plan, that we would come asking God to empower us and to use us to be his witnesses in this world. Everything we do should be upheld with prayer continually. Well, today, as I mentioned, this is our final uh, message on Ephesians And we're going to pick up looking at the armor of God by talking about the last two pieces of armor that we are to put on. And then we're going to conclude with this section that talks about prayer. So let's take a look as we walk through it. Paul tells us to take up the helmet of salvation. Now again, when we think about a Roman soldier at that time, and Paul was probably looking at one of his guards as he wrote this, we see that Roman helmets were made of bronze with leather attachments. The leather covered the forehead. There were also pieces that went down over the cheeks with metal plates on them. And the bronze helmet extended down to cover the back of the neck. So that really the only things that were exposed would be the eyes and the nose and the mouth as they went into battle. The helmet represents salvation. Salvation. And just like the breastplate of righteousness, it protects the most important parts of our body. What's interesting is that in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 59, even God himself is pictured as wearing a helmet of salvation and a breastplate of righteousness. But in that passage, it is the Lord who is going out to do battle to achieve our salvation. It is God who is going forth to win that victory. And because he has won that victory, when we know Christ, we can be clothed with these armaments. The word that Paul uses to describe putting on the helmet is the word take, take or receive. And it is very appropriate. For example, a Roman soldier would be given his helmet by an armor bearer. An attendant would hand, his, hand him his helmet that was to be then put on to his head. And for the Christian, salvation is a gift that we receive by faith. It is something that we are to take or receive. It's not something that we earn. It is this gift. In 1 Thessalonians 5.8, the hope of salvation is our helmet. And the word that's emphasized there is hope. It is our salvation that gives us confidence in battle that no matter what happens, we will be with Christ When we have his righteousness, his helmet of salvation, we are eternally secure. And when I think about security, that is something that our world desperately longs for but struggles to find. I mean, our world tries to find security in a job, in security and what I do, and that kind of defines who I am. But in a turbulent world, there are times when people lose their jobs and without, are without work and what happens then or people try to find security in investments or stocks or in the amount of money that they've saved up but we've seen how that can go up and down very quickly in a turbulent world where do we find real security well we know as believers that real security comes from knowing and following Jesus Christ but our world is struggling to find that One of the most popular movie series and book series in recent days has been The Hunger Games. I don't know if you've read that. I think there are many young people in particular that are these days. According to Amazon, the most highlighted passage in all the books that have been read in Kindle, and this is highlighted almost twice as often as any other passage, is from the second book, where it says that because sometimes things happen to people and they're not equipped to deal with them. They're highlighting this phrase that talks about the uncertainty of life, that sometimes things happen and we are not equipped or ready to deal with them. Now that's, that's true of this world. That's an accurate description of this world. But university professor Mark Schiffman commented on that. He said, it's easy to see why The Hunger Games is the novel of a generation. The trilogy depicts adolescents rigorously trained by adults for desperate but meaningless life-or-death competitions, and the story resonates with students' worry that they're all honed up with no place to go. They rack up majors, minors, certificates, credentials, internships to keep them in the running for what they feel to be an ever more elusive success. They look at their parents and they go, I don't know if it's ever going to be like this again. I don't know if we're going to have that kind of job or career security or if we're going to be able to make it or have the kinds of things in this world that our parents did. They're struggling to enter the job market. They're struggling to find those good jobs. They've spent all this money on education, and then what? What happens next? They're driven by fear. They close themselves in an armor of achievement that they hope will protect them against uncertainties of the job market, of course, but also deeper uncertainties about their status, their identities, their self-worth. They are trying to gain more control over an uncertain future. And again, real security can only be found in Jesus Christ. It comes from knowing him. Jesus himself said in John 10, 28, that I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. That we are secure in Christ and when we know that, that helps us to deal with the challenges in this present life because we know that Christ is with us and that he will provide for us, he'll guide us, he'll lead us if we just continue to walk with him. Secondly, we are to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And again, for the Roman soldier, the sword that was most often used was a sharp, double-edged sword that was used to cut and thrust. And here Paul tells us clearly for the Christian, our sword is the word of God. It is the Christian's primary offensive weapon. And this metaphor of a sword to describe the scripture is used in many places in scripture. We see it in Isaiah eleven four, where the Messiah strikes with the rod of his mouth. Or in Revelation chapter 1, and again in chapter 19, Our Lord is described with a sharp, double-edged sword that is coming out of his mouth. He speaks, and what he speaks is the very word of God, and by that word of God, he will rule the nations. In chapter 19, he comes to earth in that final great battle. He is riding on a white horse. He is this conquering king. He is leading the armies of heaven, and he will strike the nations with the sword of his mouth. That sword is the word of God. When we see Jesus and look at his example in his earthly ministry, remember once again when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness? How did he answer? This is exactly what Jesus did in the wilderness when he was tempted. He spoke the word of God. He quoted scripture to rebuke Satan and he fled from him. And the word that Paul uses here to describe the word of God is rhema. It means spoken. It is the, these words that we use are the spoken words of God. And there are times when we need to also say it, speak it. Now think about this. We know that Jesus is the master swordsman. But if even Jesus needed to use scripture to defeat Satan's attacks how much more do we, how much more do we, if Jesus used the word of God and that word was memorized to counter the attacks of the enemy and he just spoke it and sent the enemy scurrying, how much more do we need to learn to use scripture and to speak that word? Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so here is this word that we have been given as our weapon. And it is an awesome weapon. And Satan knows it. And he will try anything to keep you and I from going to the word. He'll try to keep us from studying it or knowing it or using it. And God has given it to us as this great weapon in our battle against sin. It cuts to the heart. It is all edge. You know, I think of at that time when um, they thought about swords, the sharpest swords you could get were made of Damascus steel. It was a special method that was used to just layer by layer, roll that steel out, sharpen it, refine it, temper it, harden it until it would have an edge that was razor sharp. It was a deadly weapon. And here he is saying that the word of God is even sharper still. And it cuts to the very heart. Have you felt it's cut in your life? I have, and I'm sure you have too. That there are those times when we have sinned and the word of God has convicted us and it's cut right to the heart. Maybe we've had a critical spirit or maybe we have gossiped or maybe we've said something that we shouldn't have said and the Word of God corrected us. Maybe it's been an action or an attitude in our heart and God spoke because the Word convicts and it corrects. It comes to us and it says, Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Pray. Trust me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you don't love the world or the things in the world, all of that is going to pass away, but the one who does the will of God will abide forever. Love me above all else. That word, which is such an awesome weapon, is also our food. It is our daily bread. For the believer, that word is nourishment. It's life and it's health and it's strength. I mean, we come to the word and our spirit agrees with it and and we are lifted up just when we need it. It's the right word. He tells us, do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God and surely I will help you. Surely I will strengthen you and uphold you with my righteous right hand. He tells us, call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and mighty things that you do not yet know. The word invites us to come. It assures us of our salvation. It gives us wisdom for the decisions that we face. We have seen its power in evangelism as well. Just this week, I was running an errand around town, and I ended up in a conversation that lasted about 20 minutes that led pretty naturally into sharing the gospel. And we were talking about things that are going on in life and in this person's life. And I just quoted some scripture and I could visibly see this person thinking and responding to the word of God as it was spoken. I mean, God's word does that when our words do not. I mean, our words may help to explain some things, but it is the word of God that has the power, so use it. Don't let Satan deceive you and think that oh, people aren't interested in that or they don't want to hear the word. The word is life, and the word is what cuts. Are you working on your swordsmanship? Do you know the word? Do you know how to use it to stand your ground and resist the enemy's attacks, or do you know how to use it and share it with others in evangelism? I love the verse on which Awana is based as a ministry. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Do your best to be that craftsman, that cabinet maker, that skilled artisan who knows how to use the word of God properly, Accurately, reverently, with power. To do that, we need to hear it. We need to read it. We need to study it, meditate on it, and memorize it so that we have it at hand. And thirdly, Paul talks about prayer, and I would call prayer our secret resource here. And one of the reasons I say that is because for the Roman soldier, There's really no direct comparison to prayer. It wasn't a piece of his armor that he would put on. The closest thing that we could say is that if he was going to be effective in battle, he needed to listen to his commanding officer. A good soldier follows instructions and does what he is asked to do. And for the Christian, prayer is indispensable. It is our communication link to the Father. It's through prayer that we talk to God and God also by His Spirit speaks to us and He brings the Word to mind and He gives us the direction that we need. And so Paul says here in verse 18 that we are to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Do you hear how many times he says all there? I mean, over and over again. Pray in the Spirit all occasions, all kinds of prayers, and be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. In other words, I think he wants us to do this pretty often, continually. When it says we are to pray in the Spirit, it means to pray under his direction and guidance. It's not talking about praying in tongues here. It is talking about letting the Spirit guide our prayers so that the kinds of things we ask for in prayer are in tune with what God desires. It's learning to pray like Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, for God to be honored, his name to be lifted up, for his will to be done, his kingdom to come, to pray for our daily needs, our daily bread, and all of those things that are listed there are examples of what we are to pray for. And we are to pray on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. We can pray at church, we can pray at home, We pray in the car, we pray at work or at school, we can pray when we're going for a walk or exercising at the gym, we can lift up needs. We can pray morning, noon, night, whatever your habit of prayer is, but especially we can pray when the battle rages about us. And we are to pray with all kinds of prayers. I mean, have you ever thought of how diverse prayer really is? That prayer includes worship and adoration. When we sing, we're singing our prayers to God. It includes thanksgiving, thanking him for answers to prayer and the way he's working in our life. It includes confession of sin, seeking forgiveness. There is intercession for others. There are requests for ourselves. We're asking for wisdom. We're praying for healing and strength and provision for us. But prayer is also warfare. Prayer is entering into the battle, praying for the lost that they might come to know Christ. Prayer is praying for the kingdom of God to come, for the work of missions and evangelism to expand, for the gospel to run to the ends of the earth. We are praying for deliverance. We're praying for protection from the evil one. We are praying for for the people we love to come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. We can bring our request to God at any time. Hebrews 4 16 says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that a great verse? The door is always open. Come at any time. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we come in his name, and we go before the throne of God to make our requests. And he is a gracious God who provides what we need. I look at the example of the Apostle Paul here, and in verses 19 and 20, he had a prayer request. He said, pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I think it's interesting what Paul prayed for there and what he didn't pray for. I mean, if you were in a Roman prison, what would it be that you and I would probably think of first to pray for? We'd want to get out of there. I mean, you know, we'd be asking God, would you set us free? Would you deliver us? And Paul may have prayed for that. But on the other hand, this was an answer to prayer. Paul was in Rome. Paul wanted an opportunity to testify before Caesar and to preach the gospel. And so what he asked the Ephesians to pray for is not for deliverance, but for boldness. Boldness. Pray that I would be clear when I share the gospel. Pray that God would give me the words to say. Pray that I would be fearless. And that's not just boldness, but that's also means clear and frank, not holding anything back, but being honest about this, that there is salvation in no one else. And that Jesus Christ is Lord, not Caesar, but Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul was willing to do that even if it cost him his life, and it would. But on this occasion, that's his prayer request. Pray that I would be bold and that God would give me the right words to say. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that, that we are to ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. That God is a God who knows how to give good gifts to his children. Be alert. Pray continually. Be alert in this battle. Be alert for how Satan may be lurking or wanting to trip you up. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ at all times. I wonder, and I think this would be interesting if we had the time to talk about this, but I wonder how many of you came to Christ because of the prayers of someone else for you. And I would guess that there's many of you know who that person was that was praying for you, but some of you don't. You don't know who it was, but I would guess that there were people that were praying for your salvation long before you came to know Christ. In the past, I've shared in my own life about five men that God used in my life who were really mentors and examples to me. And from them, I learned what it meant to walk with God and they discipled me and they each taught me different things. But today on this Mother's Day, I want to acknowledge three women in my life who prayed for me faithfully. They were my mom, my grandmother on my mother's side, and a neighbor woman who took care of me on those days when my mom was working in town. And I think of my grandmother and start with her, how her passionate prayer, and we all knew this, was she prayed for all of her children, her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren to come to know the Lord, and she was faithful in that and consistent. And I think of my mom who prayed for me, and especially in these years in ministry and on mission trips that I would go on, who was so faithful in praying and lifting me up before the Lord. And then I think of this woman who was a neighbor who took care of me and prayed for me and said to me, Rick, she said, you know, I have you on my prayer list along with all of my children and grandchildren, and I pray for you every day. And she continued to do that for as long as God left her here on this earth. What a blessing. And I know that in our church, honestly, it is often the moms. It's not that dads don't pray. We need to pray, and we do pray. But I know that it is often the moms who are so faithful in that. Thank you. Thank you for your prayers for us. Thank you for your prayers for the church and your intercession before God because we need it. And then finally, Paul closes his letter with these final greetings. He mentions a man named Tychicus, and he calls him a dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord. We don't know him. He is unknown to us, but he was known to Paul, and Paul loved him. And that the fact that this man was faithful in what he did is evident. I mean, Tychicus was given these letters to take to the church at Ephesus and the church at Colossae. And we know that he was faithful and succeeded in that mission because we have these letters in our Bibles. I mean, we can read them. He got through, he brought them word, and not only did he bring them the scriptures here, but he was to give them encouragement from Paul. He would talk about other things that Paul did not think were uh, necessary to put in this letter. And so he sends this friend who he can trust. And when I read that, I think and I wonder, how many people are unknown to the world, but are faithful servants of God who are carrying out his work every single day. It's been that way all the way through the centuries. I mean, you and I are unknown to the world in one sense, and yet when we do God's work in prayer, in ministry, in service, God knows. And he sees all of that. And he blesses that work, and he honors those who are faithful in that way, and he tells us that one day we will receive our reward in heaven for the work that we have done for him. Paul's prayer was also answered. We see that in another letter in Second Timothy 4, verse 17, when he tells us that he did bear witness to the gospel in Rome. And he says, and the Lord stood by my side and he strengthened me. Paul was able to do that. And he spoke boldly because God gave him the words and because Jesus Christ strengthened him. And that's the same need that we all have. Christ in us. Christ to empower us. Christ to guide us and give us the words that we need. And then he closed this letter with this benediction. Peace to the brothers, love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, and grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. These blessings come from God, and they are given to us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that we have of spiritual blessing, going back to Ephesians 1, to the very end, all of those blessings that are ours are because of Jesus Christ. He's opened the door. He's paid the penalty. He's richly blessed us. And he's waiting for that day when he will show us the incomparable riches of his grace in glory for all of eternity. (laughs) May God give you peace in all of your troubles and hardships. May God give you love with faith and may you grow in both your love for him and for people and in your faith and conviction in the word of God. And may we be a witness to the grace and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ in this world. And may God give you grace, grace immeasurable to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. In closing, I just want to ask you a couple questions. I hope that this has been a good study for you, but I would ask you, what have you learned? What's your takeaway And I know for many of you, this is not the first time you've gone through this letter. So what stood out to you this time going through Ephesians? I mean, for all of us, depending upon our circumstances, when we read the scripture, there's often, you know, words or a verse or a passage that'll jump out at us. And you go, boy, I don't remember seeing that before or not quite in that way. God's word speaks. And how did he speak to you? And then thirdly, how will you apply what you have learned that's the most important thing if we're not just to be hearers of the word but doers of it what will you do with what you have learned or how you've been challenged what's the next step for you and if you're looking for a way to in particularly pray to put on the armor of God when Jim and Lynn Jarman were here a few weeks ago and Jim and Lynn are missionaries who are going to be going to Sweden and we're going to be part of their team, supporting and praying for them. She has written a prayer that's very good, praying and putting on the armor of God, and I just wanted to pass it on as an example to you. It's on the welcome desk. If you want to pick up a copy and use it in your own life, I'd encourage you to take a look at that. And now let me close in prayer for us. Father, thank you for your word. It is holy and it is true. It is powerful and you're using it to do your work in our life. And Father, I pray that we would take to heart those questions and think about what it is you're teaching us. What is it we're gonna hang on to? And then Lord, would you help us to put that into practice in our daily life, to be obedient to the word, not just to hear it, but to do it because we love you and we wanna follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen.